This is the Capital Literature Podcast, bringing you investment letters in audio. The Capital Literature Podcast is a SEBITS capital service for the investment community. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All rights belong to the respective owners. Broyhill Asset Management, 4th Quarter, 2021 each H has its peculiar folly, some scheme, project, orphanacy and tau hikitis plunged, spurred in either by the love of gain, the necessity of excitement, or the mere force of imitation. Money has often been a cause of the delusion of multitudes. Sober nations have all at once become desperate gamblers and risked almost their existence upon the turn of a piece of paper. Men, it has been well said, think in herds, it will be seen that they go mad in herds, while they only recover their senses slowly and one by one. Charles Mackay. Does it really matter what GameStop management does? Will the company's fundamentals, any company's fundamentals, have any bearing on its stock price in the world we are moving toward, where a group of amateurs on social media can move markets? Where a well-constructed tweet, or a particularly humorous meme, or an inspiring YOLO post can shift billions of dollars into a company's valuation? In such a post-GameStop revolutionary future, is there really such a thing as a melting ice cube anymore? Or is every stock now, maybe the market itself, more like an untethered balloon? When you stick a pin in a balloon, it doesn't plummet toward the ground. It fires off at odd angles, sometimes shooting up to extreme heights, spinning and spiraling and seesawing, until it eventually runs out of air. Then it might drift back to the ground, or it might defy ration and reason, get caught in a stiff breeze and rise up and up, forever. Ben Mesrick, The Antisocial Network There is no longer any such thing as fiction or non-fiction. There's only narrative. E.L. Dr. O. Intro For the full year ending December 31, 2021, Broyhill generated low to mid-20s returns on equities. While the broader markets also posted another strong year in 2021, it appears that the tide is going out in 2022, and many investors are swimming naked. Yet, there's an overlooked corollary to this investment cliché, the tide doesn't go out everywhere at the same time. After being stranded on a sandbar for years, it appears the tide is finally coming in for value investors. With most markets down high single digits to low double digits year-to-date, our equity portfolio is up 3.5% on the year, generating gains in both January and February. Overall performance vary depending on individual account asset allocations, legacy positions, and capital flows. Detailed quarterly reports, including account and benchmark performance, portfolio holdings, and transaction history, have been posted to our investor portal. Please note that, we've made some recent changes to our organization and to how we report performance in these letters. We hope the net result of both will be an improved investor experience and encourage you to read more about this in greater detail at the end of this letter. Performance Review the largest contributors to performance during the second half of 2021 were Avis Budget Group, CAR, Dollar Tree Incorporated, DLTR, and McKesson Corp., MCK. Avis Budget Group, NASDAQ CAR. Avis surged 166% during the final two quarters of the year. The company hit a new record for quarterly EBITDA, third quarter EBITDA was higher than any full year in Avis history, while buying back nearly. $1 billion of stock and announcing another $1 billion increase in their repurchase authorization. 
Shares hit an intraday peak of $545 after reporting earnings, ultimately closing at $357, more than doubling the prior close. Frenzied retail trading, prompted by management commentary around electric vehicles adoption, prompted a dozen trading halts throughout the day. The mania grew so intense that TD Ameritrade stopped allowing short sales in Avis, as short interest represented 30% of the float. From a fundamental perspective, our rental car industry investment thesis was predicated on a few primary drivers, following an aggressive reduction in vehicle fleets in the early months of the pandemic, recovering travel demand, combined with reduced supply and a broader vehicle shortage which inflated used car prices, created a near-perfect landscape for previously unimaginable windfall profits. From a technical perspective, record short interest, combined with aggressive share repurchases and windfall profits, provided Wall Street bets with another picture-perfect backdrop to coordinate a short squeeze. We liquidated our entire position on the third quarter earnings announcement and continue to search for a good address to send a thank you card to the WSB community, which temporarily made a boring car rental business the most valuable company in the Russell 2000 index. Dollar Tree Incorporated, DLTR. Our short-term trade in Avis was unusual for our long-term investment approach, but occasionally the market figures out mispricing sooner than later, and when it does, we are more than happy to take our chips off the table and wait for the next opportunity. Our investment in Dollar Tree, which we've held for nearly five years, is more representative of our typical time horizon and investment philosophy, which seeks mispriced assets with minimal downside and the potential to double our capital over three to five years. Those doubles rarely play out as quickly as the surge in rental car pricing. Just last quarter, we highlighted Dollar Tree as a top detractor after the company issued weak guidance due to rising cost pressure. Investors were rightly frustrated after years of management missteps and false starts following the acquisition of Family Dollar. At some point, we hoped, sentiment would be just right. While the timing of that scenario is impossible to predict, we increased our position in September as shares traded back towards our original 2017 purchase price. At month end, the board increased Dollar Tree's existing share repurchase authorization to $2.5 billion, representing 13% of the company's then market capitalization, initiating a dramatic shift in investor sentiment. Management also announced that it was on track to have $500 Tree Plus stores by fiscal year end, with another 1,500 stores planned for FY22 and at least 5,000 expected by FY24. In addition, management highlighted the success of the company's combo stores, which include both Dollar Tree and Family Dollar banners, noting sales and gross profit increases greater than 20% and 30%, respectively. While there are only 105 existing combo stores, management expects to add 400 more in FY22, with a potential for up to 3,000 over the next several years. In our experience, big gains often come after years of meager performance. Patience truly is a virtue in this business, as successful investing requires confidence in your research and analysis, even when the market disagrees with you for what may seem like an eternity. In this case, after holding Dollar Tree for half a decade, shares nearly doubled, gaining 77% in the two months following that management announcement. Despite recent gains, we continue to hold our investment as consensus estimates have yet to catch up to the likely inflection in earnings power from higher price points. And with the guidance of Richard Dryling, the former Dollar General CEO, credited with turning around DG in the early part of the last decade, we think the odds of successful execution have increased materially. McKesson Corp., MCK 
shares of McKesson tacked on another 23% during the second half. Even after gaining 44% for the full year, the stock still trades a 50% discount to the market. Like our Dollar Tree investment, investor sentiment around McKesson languished for years as deflating generic drug prices compressed operating margins and the uncertainty of opioid litigation cap valuation multiples. But pricing has stabilized, a global opioid settlement appears imminent, and prescription trends are rapidly recovering at the same time vaccine-related revenues are accelerating. Since FY19, revenues have grown at 7% annually, driving earnings per share growth, which should shake out at 11% to 14% through FY22. Over this three-year period, McKesson has generated $15 billion in cumulative free cash flow, roughly two-thirds of its market capitalization at the beginning of the period, returning roughly half of that to shareholders through repurchases, shares outstanding have declined by 24% on $6 billion of buybacks and dividends, which have increased 22% over this period, while reducing leverage from 2.8x to 1.6x. Does that sound like a business that should change hands at half the market's valuation? We don't think so. Even assuming shares traded back to three-quarters of the market's multiple, in line with the average of the past decade, shares could return 15% to 20% annually over the next few years. The largest detractors to performance during the second half were Ombev, ABEV, Abbey InBev, BUD, and Madison Square Garden Entertainment, MSGE, which all declined 15% to 16% during the second half of 2021. Notably, each posted positive returns amidst the market's worst January on record. Ombev and Abbey InBev Shares of Ombev and Abbey struggled to buck the double-digit decline in emerging market indices in the second half of the year. Consensus concerns around commodity cost headwinds certainly didn't help matters, but beyond short-term margin pressures, both businesses continue to grow their profits as well as their economic moats. Abbey controls over a quarter of the nearly $600 billion global beer market, based on Euromonitor data, and remains well-positioned for a rebound in post-pandemic industry sales. Ombev, its publicly traded subsidiary, enjoys an even stronger local competitive advantage, with nearly two-thirds market share in Brazil, its largest market, and a number one or number two position in each of its other markets. Shares are currently trading more than 50% below the highs reached in 2018 as weak local currencies have weighed on margins, the majority of Ombev's cost of goods are denominated in dollars, and macro concerns have weighed on the region, which has suffered years of capital outflows. Despite these headwinds, Ombev reported record volume in every quarter last year, months after reporting its lowest volume in history during the pandemic. Should capital decide to return to Brazil and emerging markets, more on this later, we'd expect Ombev to be a primary beneficiary as the stock remains one of the largest, most profitable, and most liquid names in the index, operating in one of the consumer industry's largest and most relevant sectors. Madison Square Garden Entertainment our investment in Madison Square Garden made the list of top detractors again as limited liquidity and limited analyst coverage exaggerated moves in the stock despite a dearth of new information. Investors remain concerned that management's recent acquisition of regional sports networks has diluted the company as a pure live entertainment and reopening play. While we expect the stock to be a major beneficiary of continued economic reopening, longer term, we see an iconic brand with irreplaceable assets, trading far below private market value. At recent lows, we estimate the stock was trading at a discount to the value of its real estate. 
And just in case our large investments in tobacco weren't enough to scare the ESG crowd away, we think MSGE is well positioned to capitalize on a major opportunity in sports betting, as New York has already become the largest sports betting market in America, bringing in $1.6 billion since its launch in January. Market Commentary Quote The whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves, and wiser people so full of doubts. End of quote. From Bertrand Russell. Quote. Ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. It is those who know little, and not those who know much, who so positively assert that this or that problem will never be solved by science. End of quote. From Charles Darwin. Bull markets are often confused with genius. A dart-throwing chimp will occasionally hit a bull's eye, but as much as he might like to think so, that doesn't make him the next Warren Buffet of dart-throwing, whoever that is. We see a lot of dart-throwing chimps in this market, as the majority of investors managing capital today have yet to experience a protracted downturn. That may be about to change. Equity markets generated another year of stellar returns in 2021, but the similarities to 2020's gains stopped there. The cracks emerging below the surface have continued to grow into larger fissures as shares in the most speculative businesses dramatically underperformed. More promising, perhaps, is the growing evidence that value has returned to its rightful place in the world. In contrast to recent experience, in 2021, the cheapest quintal of stocks posted the best returns, while the priciest stocks realized the worst returns. Today's generation of investors might think this is unusual, but in fact, it has been the norm throughout most of history. The only other exception being the late 90s. In the psychology of money Morgan Housel writes, Bubbles form when the momentum of short-term returns attracts enough money that the makeup of investors shifts from mostly long-term to mostly short-term. That process feeds on itself. As traders push up short-term returns, they attract more traders. Before long, the dominant market price setters with the most authority are those with shorter time horizons. The dot-com bubble was a time of irrational optimism about the future. But one of the most common headlines of that era was record trading volume. This was the era of day trading, short-term option contracts, and up to the minute market commentary. It's not the kind of thing you'd associate with long-term views. Day trading, short-term option contracts, and up to the minute market commentary. The more things change, the more they stay the same. But trees don't grow to the sky or outer space no matter how much capital flows into the venture forest, and gravity has begun to weigh on the most expensive quintal of stocks. We have already seen 50% to 90% declines in the most speculative corners of the market, including but not limited to SPACs, meme stocks, space exploration, electric vehicles, plant-based proteins and plant-based drugs, NFTs and crypto tokens, to note a few. Reality is sinking in and sentiment is shifting to fear from greed. But these companies still represent tens of billions of value, and most equity markets remain within spitting distance of all-time highs. Tesla is still a trillion-dollar business, Dogecoin is worth more than many companies in our book, and despite watching her flagship fund lose more than half of its value, Kathy Wood still manages more money than David Einhorn. Gotham Asset Management tracks a basket of over 300 unprofitable companies, a good proxy for the money losers driven by narratives rather than fundamentals. The basket was down 6% in 2021 and another 20% in the opening weeks of 2022, but is still up nearly 80% since COVID, suggesting there is still plenty of air left in this bubble. The value of value has begun to emerge in the new year, 
but on a longer-term horizon, we've barely scratched the surface. Value outperformed growth by 16% annually for five years following the tech bubble. Given the historical precedent and the extreme valuation spreads we observe today, we think the value party is just getting started. If the tech bust is any guide, we'll eventually see weakness spill over to the broader market. As they say, beware of times when the generals lead but the soldiers don't follow. Contrary to today's consensus, the generals are not immune to the laws of gravity. History provides a useful roadmap. Investors that bought the greatest companies in America at the height of the Nifty 50 in the late 60s, and held them for five years, lost almost all of their money. This one is shaping up to play out in a similar fashion. The law of large numbers, growing regulatory scrutiny, and increased crowding and concentration could begin to weigh on the bellwethers. As we approached year-end, with equity markets at all-time highs, over 300 companies hit 52-week lows. That's happened only three other times in history, all of them in December 1999, according to the Leufeld Group. The carnage accelerated in January as nearly every other company on the Nasdaq saw their market values cut in half from their 52-week high in echo of the dot-com crash. At no other point since the bursting of that bubble has this occurred. The wheels appear to be falling off the wagon, and the natives' apes are getting restless. The popular Silicon Valley magazine Wired may have best captured the madness of today's crowds. The year will be remembered as the moment when finance and internet culture converged, leading to bubbles in everything from memes to tokenized collectibles. But cryptocurrency arguably represents the purest synthesis yet of personal finance and online social status. On TikTok, for example, one of the more popular formats involves a bro offering investment tips, talking head style, while displaying the value of his crypto portfolio behind him. And everyone wants in. In the past months, upwards of 5,000 new crypto coins have launched. What's happening in money culture right now looks something like this, the masses, frustrated by rigid societal inequality and a lack of economic opportunity, are playing whatever new lottery comes along. They invest their social media selves in lottery communities, and they put their savings in scratch tickets. The price to play is expensive, the rules are designed for them to lose, and they do. According to research firm Chainalysis, investors lost roughly $2.7 billion to investment scams in 2020. All signs point toward even more instances of fraud in 2021. Goldman Sachs highlighted the consistent hallmarks of financial manias in a recent publication titled Bubble Puzzle. The study identified the following narratives which characterized many, if not all, bubbles. Excessive price appreciation and extreme valuations. New valuation approaches justified. Increased market concentration. Frantic speculation and investor flows. Easy credit, low rates and rising leverage. Booming corporate activity. New era narrative and technology innovations. Late cycle economic boom. The emergence of accounting scandals and irregularities. Amazingly, Despite checking every one of these boxes, the subtitle of the publication reads, A Guide to Bubbles and Why We Are Not in One. Perhaps Wall Street would be better served by a more statistical definition of a bubble rather than relying on market anecdotes and qualitative characteristics. For this, we can look to Jeremy Grantham, co-founder and chief investment officer of GMO, who has scrutinized every bubble in history for the past several decades. The firm neatly defines a bubble as a two-sigma deviation from trend. And on their math, every single two-sigma bubble in the last century has ultimately deflated and returned to trend. 
In a recent paper, Grantham highlights a few bubbles that went on to become superbubbles, reaching a three-sigma deviation, before bursting. All five, U.S. equities in 1929 and 1999, Japanese equities in 1989, U.S. housing in 2006, and Japanese real estate in 1989, ultimately returned to trend, with one key distinction. The higher they went, the more pain they endured on the way down. As it turns out, we are currently in the midst of yet another super bubble, demonstrating another common characteristic of these rare, three sigma events. In the final stages of the cycle, all of them experience accelerating price increases 2x, 3x the average speed of a bull market, along with an aggressive narrowing of breadth, and ultimately, a dramatic underperformance of the most speculative stocks. We saw this firsthand in 1999-2000, and we are seeing it again today. Broader market averages have held up reasonably well to date, but if the 1999 analog continues to play out as it has to date, investors may be in for a tough few years ahead. The growing number of anecdotes in our speculative madness file continue to pile up at such a rate, it's been almost impossible to keep up. Last year, investors' insatiable appetite for stocks drove $900 billion into equity funds, more than the combined total from the past 19 years. At year-end, roughly 15% of stocks in the S&P 500 traded at more than 10x sales, although we imagine that number is a tad lower today. Venture funding shattered all records last year. In 2020, global venture funding hit a record $294 billion. Last year's numbers blew that out of the water as startups raised $621 billion. Startups raised more cash in the third quarter of last year than was raised during the entire dot-com boom. The quarterly total was more than any full year prior to 2018. Some 180 venture-backed companies went public, bringing over $500 billion in value to the market. More than half of this year's nearly 500 IPOs are already trading below their offer prices. Still, there are more than 1,000 unicorns in the world today, nearly double the total reached in 2020. Echoing the, infamous Enron Field in Houston, Louisiana's Staples Center is rebranding as Crypto.com Arena in a 20-year deal with a cryptocurrency platform. Even Radio Shack is trying to rise from the dead, following the AMC-slash-GME playbook, announcing that it's bringing cryptocurrency to the mainstream by becoming an exchange. And last, but certainly not least, a former reality television star began selling farts in a jar for about $1,000 each before transitioning to sales of digital farts on the blockchain. Meanwhile, CEOs and insiders are selling at the fastest annual pace on record, having liquidated a record $69 billion in stock last year. Many venture-backed, ambitious upstarts like to describe themselves as the Amazon of this or the Google of that. Guess what? Amazon is the exception, not the rule. Only the rarest of unicorns are able to generate growth at the level for that long. For the great majority of mere mortals, reality is much different. As Daniel Kahneman explains in his most recent book, Noise. Corrected predictions will always be more conservative than intuitive ones, they will never be as extreme, but instead closer, often much closer to the mean. If you correct your predictions, you won't foresee that a highly successful startup worth $1 billion will become a behemoth worth several hundred times that. Corrected predictions do not take bets on outliers, you should remember that outliers are, by definition, extremely rare. The opposite error is much more frequent, when we predict that outliers will remain outliers, they generally don't, because of regression to the mean. That is why, to maximize accuracy, 
corrected predictions are superior to intuitive predictions. Investment strategy. Risk assets are on fire, deep in the middle of an everything rally with signs of froth, speculation, and excessive risk-taking everywhere. Markets are priced for perfection just as the recovery is stalling and stimulus is being unwound. As narratives have become increasingly delusional, many prices have disconnected from reality. But ultimately, facts win out over fiction. And there is always something to do. As investors continue to unwind their speculative bets on outliers and correct their many erroneous predictions, we think today's new era thinking will soon be replaced by less extreme and more conservative investing when profitability and cash flow matter more than empty promises. We like this setup and think the narrative unwind should be a tailwind for our portfolio for years to come. We see substantial value in our investments and have increased our best ideas but are not resting on our laurels. Our ears perk up when we hear someone describe an investment as uninvestable. Low expectations and low valuations are a powerful formula for future performance. Fortunately, in spite of today's record bubble and speculation, there are plenty of unloved and uninvestable opportunities as valuation dispersion remains near all-time highs. So even as many investors complain about sky-high valuations, we are able to construct an extremely cheap portfolio through bottom-up research focused on overlooked and out-of-favor opportunities. In fact, we'd even go so far as to say that the current investing landscape is about as good as it gets for our investment philosophy. Our investments in tobacco provide a great example of this dispersion and another echo of the opportunities created during the dot-com bubble. These investments didn't make it into last year's top contributors, but they came close. Altria and Philip Morris gained 24% and 21% for the year. More important than the gains enjoyed alongside a rising tide is their performance in 2022 as the tide began to move back out. Both stocks gained about 8% while the market crashed 5% in January. The setup today seems eerily similar to the dichotomy we experienced in the late 90s. Then, as now, investors, enamored with new world stocks, ignored old economy stalwarts. An Altria write-up on Value Investor Club in April 2000 highlighted the opportunity at a time when internet stocks were soaring and tobacco stocks were considered uninvestable. Looming litigation threatened to bankrupt the industry at the time, arguably a significantly greater risk than the threat posed by ESG today. At the time, Altria yielded 8% to 9% and traded at a single-digit multiple, in line with the stock's current valuation today. Following the dot-com bust, shares went on to gain over 600% while the Nasdaq declined more than 50% over the next decade. Our upside case for Altria today doesn't quite get us to a 600% return, but we'd be happy to place a wager on the stock's performance relative to the Nasdaq over the next decade, if anyone is interested. Portfolio activity continued at a higher than normal level throughout the year, as volatility provided ample opportunity to trim investments that approached our fair value estimates and increase or establish positions in high-quality companies which temporarily found themselves out of favor in a more speculative environment. At year-end, our top five exposures were investments in Tobacco, Altria Group and Philip Morris, McKesson Corp., Lottam Airports, Pfizer Incorporated, and Equity Commonwealth. We continue to hunt for new opportunities, attacking areas of uncertainty, leveraging our broad-based network to source ideas and deep fundamental research to identify investments with a margin of safety and material upside potential. The outcome of that work has produced several compelling investment themes running across the portfolio. We discuss a few examples below. Cheap Incumbents
The current concentration of market leaders is not unique. It's typical of previous waves of innovation. Dominant companies with strong brands, high barriers to entry, and an ability to adapt will likely remain successful, but disruptive innovations don't always displace incumbents. Technology is often additive rather than disruptive. Many high-quality businesses in mature industries have materially derated, leaving many incumbents looking very cheap. Those that adapt can generate exceptional performance. We think our recent investment in Fiserv is perhaps the best example of this opportunity and outline our investment thesis in the write-up accompanying this letter. The Value of Value Valuations are cheap, fundamentals are strong, and value stocks offer superior profit growth and double-digit earnings yields. Real assets, like equities, have historically provided the best long-term store of value. So, if you are worried about inflation or trying to build an anti-fragile portfolio to survive multiple economic climates, owning cheap stocks seems like a good way to buy insurance at a discount. Quality Income We believe a dividend strategy can be greatly enhanced by overlaying a value-driven, fundamental assessment of business quality. With asset prices at all-time highs, yields at all-time lows, and risk of rising inflation, quality income is an attractive alternative to bonds. China's Calamity Returns are best when capital is scarce. In a world awash in liquidity, finding those opportunities can be challenging, but not impossible. We see value in Chinese stock and bond markets and are positioned accordingly. China's crackdown on the property sector has driven a dramatic sell-off at high-yield bonds. Spreads have blown out and are now yielding north of 20% versus last year's 14% peak at the height of the pandemic. In short, Asian high-yield credit is pricing in a lot of downside risk. The market currently expects nearly every other credit to default. This seems like a stretch. Increasing capital flows in the face of declining prices suggests that investors are beginning to realize that double-digit yields in today's low-rate environment are too hard to resist. Differentiated Returns In contrast to traditional strategies, event-driven investments respond to specific occurrences rather than the direction of the broader markets. Regardless of whether the market goes up or down, catalysts can push stocks higher, unlocking their value and tying their fate to a certain event rather than to the vagaries of the market. As a result, these investments can reduce portfolio duration and thus in downside in bear markets. Subsequent to year-end, we began building a new core position in one such security and look forward to disclosing that investment in our next letter. COVID Experiences Post-COVID normalization should mean fading demand for goods, i.e., peloton, and surging demand for services, i.e., airports and rental cars. Consumer spending on goods remains 10% above trend while services are still running 5% below. We think demand for experiences is likely to accelerate for the next several years. Investments in travel and leisure are likely to be prime beneficiaries. Emerging Returns One of many unintended consequences of bubbles is the misallocation of capital as surging liquidity rushes into narrow subsegments of the economy. Today, the flow of funds is literally making its way into outer space, starving other sectors of capital and setting the stage for stronger returns. In 2021, the S&P returned 29%, MSCI World returned 19%, MSCI XUS returned 8% and MSCI Emerging Markets declined 3% on the year. Given the gap in valuations today, it's unlikely the U.S. continues its dramatic outperformance over the next decade. 
We continue to see pockets of value outside of the United States, and these investments represent a growing proportion of our equity book today. Bottom line Global market capitalization has grown by $27 trillion in the last three years, almost 10x the previous three years, yet reported profits grew roughly the same amount, according to SoapGen's Andrew Lipthorne. In the U.S., multiples expanded by about 10% annually over the last decade driving the majority of benchmark returns and doubling normalized multiples from 17x to 38x earnings. Said differently, almost all of the gains over the past 10 years were derived from a low starting point and rising valuations. This, of course, works both ways. History and logic suggest that a repeat performance from today's starting point is just not possible. Common sense and basic arithmetic suggest that after three years of returns north of 20% annually, markets are likely to provide more meager, if any, returns for the next few years. Simply stated, risks are rising while prospective returns are declining. As we write, a hint of skepticism and the dose of reality are creeping up on investors otherwise blind to the possibility of a bear market. Those that have resisted temptation to throw caution to the wind will be well positioned to scoop up attractive bargains during the next drawdown. The majority of investors, unfortunately, are likely to be carried out feet first. Case in point, ARK generated a cumulative return approaching 600% or 36% annually at its peak. Yet, the average investor in ARK ETFs is sitting on a 27% loss according to Bespoke Group, as most inflows occurred near the top. Unfortunately, this is quite common for sluggers who swing for the fences. Occasionally spectacular, yet volatile returns, can result in fame and fortune for heavy-hitting investment managers, but their clients rarely come along for the ride. At Broyhill, we are programmed to stay on our feet and to ensure our investors do the same. We prioritize the return of our capital before pursuing a return on our capital. This means being prudent when others are not which positions us to take calculated risks when others cannot. It means we prefer the steady pace of the tortoise rather than risk burning out like the hare. It can be frustrating to watch those rabbits recklessly speed ahead while we move forward at a more measured and calculated pace. But we believe this is the best way to ensure we finish the race with our investors still on board. We are grateful for your continued trust and partnership. We come into the office each day striving to earn it, and recognize just how fortunate we are to have such a wonderful group of like-minded, long-term investors who place their confidence in. You enrich our network, strengthen our competitive advantage, and most importantly, just make our work all the more enjoyable. Organizational Update As stated in the introduction to this letter, we wanted to take a moment to clarify how we report performance and recent changes we have made. To be clear, this will not change your actual performance as an investor. But as our firm and our investment strategies have evolved, see Appendix, it has become increasingly challenging to cover all of our bases in these letters. So, going forward, we will focus this commentary on our fully invested equity strategy for a couple of reasons. First, most of our clients are invested in this portfolio in aggregate or in combination with other asset classes and investment vehicles. And equally important, we think this change will make it easier for investors to compare our investment results with relevant equity benchmarks. We welcome your feedback here as we refine this approach as these letters are ultimately written for you. As Burryhill continues to scale, our needs have evolved alongside the growing complexity of our business. So, in an effort to streamline our operations, we recently made the decision to outsource some functions to Agile Fund Solutions. 
Agile provides us with an institutional quality platform and experience team to help us manage everything from compliance and operations to internal workflows and account documentation. Most importantly, Agile provides us with the bandwidth and the peace of mind to concentrate on what we do best, researching and executing investment opportunities on your behalf. You can think of them as an extension of our team, based in Charlotte and led by Brian Smith, CFO. If you have any questions or need anything on your account, please don't hesitate to reach out to Brian or his team at our group email address, which is broyhill at agiles.com. We've also had a couple of recent organizational changes of note. Tim LaRue left the firm to pursue other opportunities. And after more than three years at Broyhill, Kaylin Lewis has moved on to an exciting new leadership role at a Silicon Valley tech startup. We wish them both the best of luck in their future endeavors. In the meantime, we have begun the search for our next all-star executive assistant and chief of staff and are excited by the caliber of candidates already in the pipeline. If anyone comes to mind as a potential fit, please let us know, as referrals from trusted friends will be placed at the top of our list. Our job description is available here. As always, please feel free to reach out anytime with questions. We enjoy hearing from you. Sincerely, Christopher Arpavese, CFA Chief Investment Officer Broyhill Asset Management. Appendix, Broyhill Investment Strategies. Over the years, we've occasionally gotten questions from friends and colleagues regarding our willingness to manage outside capital. Because we were founded as a single-family office nearly half a century ago, it's understandable why people may be uncertain. We have preferred slow and steady growth, carefully selecting the right clients rather than gathering assets as quickly as possible. Our business has grown at an equally measured pace. We began managing external capital via SMAs mirroring our internally managed equity portfolio. In addition to last year's launch of our opportunistic credit fund, we recently made additional strategies available to investors, so we thought it would be helpful to provide a quick summary of our offerings here. The Broyhill Tactical Equity Portfolio Our core equity portfolio is our flagship equity strategy that mirrors the internal portfolio managed with the Broyhill family. The approach is concentrated, opportunistic, and benchmark agnostic. As a result, we don't seek to track or outperform an arbitrary benchmark but rather aim to generate attractive long-term returns with lower risk than broader equity indices. To do this, we periodically employ options and hedges to manage downside risk and often hold large cash balances, which damper volatility and provide optionality on tomorrow's opportunities. Our flagship equity portfolio's risk-slash-reward profile is more similar to a classic hedge fund than a long-only index. Less the 2 and 20. Relative to our hedged peers, we offer higher returns with similar downside protection, greater transparency, increased tax efficiency, and lower fees. The Broyhill Equity Portfolio For clients with a greater risk tolerance or allocators who prefer to manage cash themselves, We recently launched a fully invested version of our core equity portfolio, allowing investors to better align their exposure with their own needs. After learning of the demand for a strategy with greater market exposure from several institutional investors via platforms like InvestNet and Adhesion, we decided to make it available to existing investors through our separately managed accounts. Importantly, this new product will invest proportionately in the exact same securities as our flagship strategy, grossed up to 100% equity exposure. As a result, it does not require additional resources from the investment team, and trading is largely automated alongside our core equity strategy. 
The Broyhill Balance Portfolio While many investors look to Broyhill for our conservative approach to equity investment, others have all or most of their net worth invested with us. For these investors, we offer the Broyhill Balance Portfolio, which combines our equity strategy with additional asset classes to provide greater diversification and exposure to alternatives. The strategic equity exposure of our balance portfolio is 50% and will range from 25% to 75% based on the opportunity set. The strategy leverages our robust network and long history of allocating to external managers to provide clients with exposure to niche investments like closed-end funds, targeted allocations to emerging market equities, and various alternatives to complement a long-only portfolio. The Broyhill Quality Income Portfolio Broyhill Quality Income is a low-turnover, concentrated portfolio of quality businesses with strong balance sheets and sustainable, growing dividends. After incubating the portfolio internally for some time, we recently made the strategy available to external investors seeking to generate additional income in a world starved of yield. With asset prices at all-time highs, yields at all-time lows, and risk of rising inflation, quality income offers clear benefits relative to a passive equity allocation and is an attractive alternative to bonds. The strategy is designed to appeal to investors who wish to limit their market risk while maintaining exposure to equities, are seeking a tax-efficient alternative to bonds and other income-producing options, are concerned about the impact of inflation on income-generating assets, and who want global diversification to complement their domestic equity exposure. The Broyhill Alternative Income Portfolio The Broyhill Alternative Income Portfolio is designed for investors seeking alternatives to near-zero yielding cash and equivalents. We think the strategy is extremely attractive for investors with cash on the sidelines, hesitant to dump it into stocks at all-time highs or into bonds with yields at all-time lows. The strategy aims to minimize the risk of a continued rise in interest rates, which could quickly wipe out any income gained through bonds via principal losses, by utilizing a conservative and balanced approach, diversifying risk and sources of income across multiple asset classes, rather than simply sticking money in a plain vanilla bond fund. As a result, the portfolio offers higher yields with less interest rate risk than a conventional fixed income portfolio. BAM Credit Opportunities Fund For decades, Broyhill has cultivated and nurtured relationships with external managers, completing rigorous due diligence and selectively investing only with partners we deem best in class. In 2021, we took the first step in providing investors with direct access to some of these external managers. The BAM Credit Opportunities Fund leverages the hybrid approach to investing employed by Broyhill for a generation, whereby investments in niche external managers are complemented by direct investments in stressed and distressed credit. The fund is currently closed to new investors, but we anticipate launching similar hybrid funds in the future. Stay tuned. If you'd like to learn more about investing with Broyhill, please contact us.